Morning, everyone. I'm about to read the Bible for us. Let me, before I do so, pray for us, just briefly. Risen and present, Lord Jesus, it is right that we are moved today. Gathered in your presence with us. Your desire is to speak to us. I pray that through what will happen now, that would take place. It's weak, it's feeble, but somehow will you speak? I pray in your name. Amen. I'm going to read for us from a place in the Bible called Matthew. It's um, from a chapter in that book, chapter 13. I'll read two parts. I'll start from verse 24 and then I'll tell you when I skip to uh, verse 36, so two parts. All right. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, So didn't you sow good seed into your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, no, he answered. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now I'm skipping down to verse 36. Uh, Jesus, in a sense, explains what this parable means for us and Perhaps um, can't add much to what he says here, but we will try and flesh it out a bit in the sermon. Verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man, that is, Jesus. The field is the world, and the good seeds stand for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. 
They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So far the reading of God's word. Before I launch into this message, may I uh, just invite you again today, straight after this message, I'd like to form a group again, uh, just in the front corner here, uh, to both pray and discuss. You know, last week we had a, quite a wonderful discussion and, and some questions to clarify and so forth. Um, we can do that again, but I want us to pray first today. Just spend some time in prayer. So I want you to come today for any, any need of prayer you may have and I also am going to ask us to particularly pray for the church and for some of the things that will come out uh, in the message today. So please, uh, I park that with you now and think about it as we go through this message uh, to, to join us. Uh, even if you just want to listen, you don't want to say anything, you're welcome, please do, do join us. All right, let's... Let's kick off. I want to introduce you uh, to this man here. I don't know him personally. His name is Joshua Harris. In 1997, Joshua Harris wrote a book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. It's, uh, it's, it sold over one million copies. Hands up, has anyone ever come across it or read it? Or, or, or Yeah, okay, yeah, Dana did. <laughs> <laughs> But we dated. <laughs> Clearly it had a huge impact on you, Donna. Um, yeah, I don't know that. Um, it, he was a pastor, Joshua Harris, just to be very clear. Highly influential uh, Christian leader. Um, you would argue hundreds and thousands of people's lives, including my own wives, I just learned, were impacted. I would say, for the better, right? I'm guessing this was a very helpful book. Yeah. A very useful book. Used by God in her life and anyone who's read this book. Spoken on behalf of God, he, as a preacher of God's word, would have done in this book, as I am doing to you this morning. Two or three years ago, Joshua Harris released this statement. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. He's walked entirely away from the faith. Entirely rejected everything uh, publicly that he's preached about, that he's taught. Ordered the, uh, the, the, the um, cancellation of further publications of his books, of his bestseller. And I put it to you this morning that this raises a question about God's church. This is what we're talking about, right, For in these weeks. What is church? So many people across the world would say, I can't have the church. Because of stuff like this, the, the hypocrisy, the, 
the visions. I would argue that if you were to go and make a short list of the most corrupt organizations on the face of the earth, across history, the church would have to be one of your top contenders, right? The abuse that have been inflicted on people by the church. And then we sing a song that, that, that touches on a line of one of the oldest creeds that, that Christians have said from the very earliest times. This is what we believe. This is the line from the Nicene Creed. We believe in one holy Catholic means universal, a church that existed in all times and places in human history. One holy, universal, and apostolic, doesn't mean that there are apostles in it, but, but a church who holds true to the teaching of the apostles about who Jesus is. <laughs> what church is that? Right? I mean, how do you, how do you say that? How do you say, I believe in that, when the reality that sits on the ground is so vastly different from this statement? That's, that, yeah, that's a really, really perplexing question that I think every Christian at some level has to wrestle with, we have to grapple with. And not just because it's interesting, but because I think it has implications for us of how we should live as a church, our life as a church. And I want to walk through that this morning, through that question. That, that's what we're going to unpack. And, and to do so, I want to work through this parable of Jesus primarily, but I'll go other places as well in the Bible. You've heard the story. Man goes out sows seed, good seed, in a field, an enemy comes, sows bad seeds, weeds, they go up, the workers come, they say, should we pull up the bad seeds? No, you'll harm the wheat. Wait, let them grow together. And then at the end of the time, that real weighty, Scripture comes in. The separation will take place. Here's the question that we, we've got to start with, I think, that we've got to, got to grapple with. What is the field? What does Jesus have in mind when he says the field? Now, he explains the parable. He, he says a little bit later, quite openly, the field is the world. Now this causes a bit of a difficulty and Christians have interpreted this somewhat differently over the years and I'm going to take you into that debate a bit because it matters for us. Some have said, this is quite neat, the world at large is the field and it's pretty simple. The church is the good plants and the rest are not 
And at the end of time, how it's all going to pan out is God is simply going to separate the church from the rest of the world. That's, that's how it's going to work. Except I think there are huge problems with that. I think at the very least when Jesus says the field is the world, it means the world in general, including the church. Some would say that Jesus is only talking about the church when he says the field is the world. And here's why. It's because it relies on three things, some of which we'll clarify a bit more. Number one, um, logic. Why would Satan need to destroy the world at large? It's already destroyed. <laughs> the world's living under God's judgment as it is. There's, there's no need to further infiltrate and oppose it. The new thing that God is doing in the face of the earth is his church. He's building a church. It's that that Satan is opposing. It's that that is sought here to be destroyed. It's that that is sought here to be uh, corrupted defiled, broken up, messed up, right? It's not the world at large, it's the church that is being opposed, right, by, by Satan. Beyond that, there, is, there are scriptures that speak to the, the church as being a mixed body made up of true believers and unbelievers. And we're going to touch on one of those that is a chilling scripture in a few moments. The point I want to get across here, if you would come with me on this interpretation, is simply this, that the church is not perfect yet. The church, as we know it, is made up of Christians and non-Christians. Right? Right? The field is filled with plants, true good wheat plants and weeds. And you can hardly tell the difference. That's the somewhat uncomfortable and disturbing fact, I think, that Jesus is raising here in this parable and in other parts of the scripture. And, and here's my, my simple point. Point one of three for us is when we think about the church, we should not expect the church to be perfect yet. We should not expect the church to be perfect yet. Christians over the ages have tried this. They said, no, it's, it's critical that the church is in fact holy, one, universal, Apostolic, and we need to purge it to make sure that it is that, right? <laughs> Maybe just hit me back with some answers. Why, why, why do you think that is a bad idea? What would happen if we were to do that? Sorry? There'd be no one left. <laughs> That's the problem. I love, a quote came to me this week from... Um, from Hilda, actually. Um, Hilda used to say this, you know, if you found the perfect church, don't go there. Because when you walk in, it's not perfect anymore. <laughs> I never was to begin with, right? 
Yeah, other ideas. Why, would this, why is this a bad idea to try and come up with this? You'll only feel guilty? Yeah, how so? Yeah, right. So you're going you're gonna to breed this pecking order, a, a super elite, no, this is the pure church and, and this is not, and you are not. And you're going to have this real spiritual, uh, you opening it wide up to this sense of spiritual pride and, and um, yeah, this quite disunited. You're going to probably tear it apart, its unity, yeah, yeah. What a great answer, Pat. You'd have a lot of imperfect people deciding who is perfect. And here's the thing. There's no way they can be accurate. Because there's no way we can see a person's heart. There is no way we can see a person's soul. There is no way we can truly know what goes on inside a person. It's impossible. Yeah, what a great answer. How can God be God if the church thinks it is perfect? Yes. What a humbling thing to, to acknowledge that limitations that, 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 that we sit with and that only God can see and can know. And so, and so a much better way to think about this has been handed down to us throughout church history by the great thinkers who all agree with me. Um, <laughs> I don't agree with that. We've got to think of the church, a helpful, helpful thing is, 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 is visible and invisible. The true church right now to us is invisible. Only God knows what that church looks like. One day, remember Sermon 1, at the great gathering in heavenly Mount Zion, where this Ecclesia is going to take place in the full and unbroken presence of God. That church that will gather there will be truly visible, will be one, will be holy, will be totally spanning the breadth and width of human history, <laughs> truly founded on the pure gospel of God's Son, Jesus Christ. <laughs> that is the church that we confess. That is the church that we belong to. And in a certain sense, it's a, it's a future reality. And right now, uncomfortable and unsettling, though it may be, she's quite imperfect. And she has to be. Moving on to the second point. This is a great thing. <laughs> we ought to be Grateful is, is the simple point that this church, that God is allowing it to be imperfect. Now, I'm going to hover here a bit because there's some implications from it, but let me just start with, yeah, Sumi's point was really the, the one here that, that captures why we should be grateful because the truth is, I think, for a very good deal of my own life, I was in that field not as a wheat plant, but as a weed. I'm grateful God gave me time. You should be grateful God gave you time. We should be grateful that God is giving us time. 
so often people have said in history over this question, God, why don't you purify this church and make it that what we want it to be at the end of time? And the response, and this is particularly a difficult thing for people who are suffering, and I'm going to speak to those in a minute. The response is so beautiful from the word. God is not slow in keeping his promise. Don't you worry. He's, he's doing it, and it's going to be done. But what does he want? He is patient. He's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, everyone to come to repentance. Wanting everyone to have a chance to say, I am going to be there on that last day. I am not going to be thrown out. I'll get back to that point in a minute. For now, I just want to hover here and speak to you if you perhaps were or if you know someone or even just if you have not known someone or if you're not, you are not this person but you can see the problem here for let's say a person who has been abused by a weed in the church who would rightly say to us this is not fair. I take issue with God on this because how would God allow patience for some to come to repentance but in the meantime, others who are not belonging to the true church have done unspeakable damage. And I'm the victim of that, right? That's a problem. That may be you today. It may have been you in your past. I... I can do a few things. I can, I can certainly say on behalf of church leadership, we, we, we love to say that it wasn't me, therefore that's it's not my problem. I think it is our problem. I think the church ought to, rightly as it often does, seek the forgiveness for what's done in its name. It's not right. So we start there. And then we move think to the very important word in both point one and point two. Yet. Yet. God will administer a perfect justice. There is no way in which any act of evil that goes on under the sun from the beginning to the end will go unpunished. That perfect justice will be meted out either on perpetrators directly or on his own son, Jesus Christ. Right? And we always think that, oh, that's a cheap escape for those who come to repentance later after a life of wheat, sorry, weed-like abuse. It's not that easy for them. It's not that easy. But I pray that you would perhaps in some small way find solace and peace in knowing that God has not forgotten about you. God does not, not care about what happens in his church. God is not callous or un observant or unloving towards anything in this 
imperfect mixed field that is happening that is not bearing his loving heart for the healing and the wholeness of all that would be his. And can I beg with you, can I plead with you that you would not reject him. Please. What hope for you is left other than his promise of making things right? Yeah? An abuser who has lived all his life in relative comfort and passed away peacefully in their sleep, so to speak, but never came to Jesus. God is your only hope for justice. Right? Not, not in the sense that we need to be, oh yeah, God's going to punish you. But, but, but I think we ought to understand the deep need of victims of abuse here. To know that their lives and their plight was noticed by God. You are noticed by God. You're not forgotten. And he will make right everything that was wrong. He will make his church perfect. Be assured. Now let me move on to the last point. I, we said that we, we shouldn't expect the church to be perfect yet. We should be grateful that the church is not perfect yet, although Acknowledging the mystery for some in that, that's of a particular nature. Hold on to the hope. What about in the meantime? Here's the last point. Um, some might say, but the church gets off too easy. You know, in some ways, it, isn't it a bit all too easy to say, oh, well, we should expect it's never going to be perfect. And we should be glad it's not perfect. But in the meantime, uh, so what? Is there a bar? Is there, what, do, what does the church do in the meantime? What, what is our responsibility to ensure that we limit the amount of weeds in our midst to ensure that we don't become them? I, you know what I mean? Like they Surely there ought to be a responsibility for the church in all of this to, to ensure that it desires, aspires, and work towards its perfection. Already now, it's improvement at the very least. You can't just throw your hands in the air and say, it's all a mess anyway, we've got to wait to the end for it all to be fixed. It doesn't work like that. So let me speak to that under the last point for us. I'm going to read to you this verse, and this is how we should know that the church is the field as much as the world. And I'm using this as the starting point for what we must do in the meantime. Here's what Jesus said. It's chilling. It's heavy. Please listen carefully. Not everyone, Jesus says, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, that is the last day, yeah? Judgment day. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name did we drive out demons, and in your name did we perform many miracles. 
These things happened. It's not that they were fake, they really happened. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. First thing that we must do as a church, each of us as an individual, is ask ourselves, am I one of these? Am I in the field but not a wheat plant? Am I getting the same food, Sunday in, Sunday out, but it's not nourishing me in the same way as it would nourish a plant a wheat plant. This is not a question you should ask yourself all the time. But it's a question you should ask yourself sometimes. If it's a question you ask yourself all the time, you will forever live in doubt, despair and insecurity. That is not the way God wants his children to live. He is abundant in giving you a sense of his love and security and that you are his child and he is your father. And if you come to him honestly with this prayer and you're good, he will make you understand that you're good. <laughs> he will answer it. No father puts their children through unnecessary anguish when it comes to this sort of thing. And if you're not, he will lead you to what you need to do in order that that is a genuine new birth, that you're a child of his and he is your God, uh, your father, and you know it. And it's beyond question in your mind, right? This is one of the things I think the church ought to do, that we as individual members of the church ought to do. It's the starting point, is to simply go back to the very basics. Jesus, do I know you? Do you know me? Simple as that. And wait for his answer. Right? But then next to that, or, or, or further from that, the question, and I now want to bring it more to a group level, as a whole church, we might want to say, okay, well, what are the signs? What are the markers of a, a healthy field? What are some of the things we would look at as a church for us ourselves to say, hey, this is, this is what we believe God is wanting us to be, he's growing us up to be, the things we hold up as sort of standards that we say, yeah, this, this will help us serve for us as, as fruit or, or, or things that, that, um, yeah, that we think God wants to achieve and accomplish in us. People have talked about the marks of the church, of the true church for many centuries and generations and they've come up with many things. In fact, the Nicene Creed is one of those attempts early on to say these four things should be true of the church. should be holy, should be universal, one and apostolic. More recently, uh, a mob in Washington DC, they're called Nine Marks, head up, headed up by a guy called John Deaver. I'll go with their suggestion of what a church should look at to say that it is a healthy church or a healthy field. It's not perfect. I'm not holding it up to you as gospel. I'm not saying these are the nine commandments about what your church must do. I think it's helpful. I think there's many ways in which it can be lived out and 
and find a feature within your church. The, these are just the headings that I'll take you through. Okay, so let me take you through, just be a little bit specific. Oh, that's a lot. I'm just going to go through the things on the left. Number one, uh, expositional preaching. It, it's, it's clunky language, but really it's, it's, it's saying that the Bible in the life of your church needs to have a prominent, central place. And however you preach and teach, we want to know what the Holy Spirit says here and plant this deep into our experience. How you do that, we can talk about it. But it's very important. True healthy church will have this very much in the center. Number two, biblical theology. That's a, that's a clunky kind of a term as well, maybe if you're new to church, but it's the Bible has to be interpreted. You're not, not going to get every answer you want out of it by just reading it. You need to think about how you interpret it, and there are different ways of interpreting it. Tonight, 7 p.m., Preacher's Workshop is really going to deal with this kind of level of things. How do we interpret the Bible in a good, healthy way that leads to right answers for us? People have misinterpreted this over the centuries so badly and gotten such terrible places, right? You want your church to interpret the Bible and this is church language according to sound biblical theology, okay? Number three, the gospel. In a sense, the gospel is everything. But hearing what you heard this morning from John, Hearing what we heard this morning from Peter, that the risen Christ is with us. He's in our pre presence, in our midst. He seeks to fill, he seeks to heal, he seeks to do something in us today. The gospel, you, do you hear that in your church? It's critical, right? Perhaps above all else. Uh, conversion, so, so people becoming children of God. Do we have, what's our understanding of that? There are gross misunderstandings of what that looks like and what it means. <laughs> Don't have the time here to go into what it might look like or should look like, but it's something we want to look at. There is a biblical understanding of, of what it means to become a child of God that recognises both what God does and what we do in that process. Evangelism. Does your church love those who do not know Jesus? They love to bring them into the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Does your church bear fruit? Is it something that is on the heart of the church, that they're very passionate about? It's a wonderful thing to look for in a healthy church. Membership. According to the Bible, church membership is a commitment every Christian should make to attend, love, serve, submit to a local church. A church, a local church is like a family. Does your local church take that seriously? Mean something. To belong to the church. It's a wonderful mark to, 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 to look to. Discipline. This is a very uncomfortable one. and a very broad sense, it simply means us helping each other to grow in our faith. At a more serious level, it means that somewhere in the life of the church, if I start to do something grossly wrong, our elders would correct me. That friends and brothers and sisters in Christ would have the love to rebuke each other lovingly, carefully and saying, don't think so. Right? Do elders and church leadership do that in the church? Church that refuses to do that is a church that's not going to end up healthy. Right? Discipleship. Uh, they didn't include prayer in that. I did because I think that's a key marker of discipleship. 
Let's your church pray together. <laughs> Very important that God seeks to shape us into a prayerful people. And lastly, leadership. I'll read the description here. We're going to spend a whole sermon on leadership in two weeks' time. Right? Uh, could be controversial. The Bible teaches that each local church should be led by a plurality of godly qualified men called elders. More on that later for now. Leadership matters. Sign of a healthy church is that there's a healthy leadership there. These might be visible marks that we want to say, we want to see that in our church. This is going to help the church to be as pure and godly a field as it can be. We'll not make it perfect. But we aim for this. We think that the Bible tells us this is what God seeks to do, right? Now let me close by saying one last thing. If you are unsure about the church, if you're wondering how possibly can the Nicene Creed be true, that the church is holy, that it's good, that it's perfect, that it's loving, that it's caring, that it's powerful, would you please not look at the church? Would you look at him whose the church is? Would you look at him who will on the last day be all to all? Would you look at him who is present? He is all those things. And only in him is his church everything it might hope to ever be. If you want to see the rightness, the beauty and the goodness of the church, look at Jesus. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we ask for your Grace, mercy, forgiveness as your church where collectively so many sins have been perpetrated, so many things that do not reflect who you are and your heart. Would you forgive us for those? Pray for every single person in this room that we would know you, that you would know us even today, even right now, even in the midst of what we're talking about. Make for yourself new children. Bring us to a true knowledge of you in a true living relationship with you. Please, would you do that? And finally, I pray for our church, Pathway to Life Church, but really that would be true for all churches. Lord, would you raise us up to be fields worthy of you, Grow us, patiently lead us to repentance and faith. Let us shine brightly. Let us enjoy you and let us give you much, much glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.